This is good. All right. This is just like how I do class. I just sit there and stare at people until they uh, be quiet and listen to me. So this is awesome. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm not Jeremy. Uh, so real quick off the bat, my name is Kenton Bryce. Um, my wife, Ashley, and I have been at Prov Road for about five or six years. And I've got to confess something real quick. I've never realized how bright the lights are up here. Um, and so I can't see anybody. So this is great. Uh, I can see things. I just can't see people. So this is wonderful. Uh, but yeah, so I've been here for about five, six years with my wife. Uh, we have two children, Ian and Paloma, uh, three and ten months. And uh, they are just the joy of our life. We love them dearly. And so um, I work at the College of Law. Uh, I teach technology and innovation. So I teach a very non-traditional subject matter in a very traditional environment. And so it's, a, it's an interesting experience over there. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, Jeremy, uh, back in June, asked me if I would be interested in preaching. And I was, I'm a little hesitant about this because I teach a lot. I, I yell at law students about how to be better lawyers, generally. And so I don't want to yell at you, right? I want to preach. I want to bring the word. And, um, and so that's what I hope to do today. So that being said, um, let's pray real quick, and then we're going to get into the verses. And so if you could, while I pray, pray for me, right? And so just pray that the Lord would use me to bring a word to you, right? Um, I just, I want to get out of the way, and I want the Lord to do what he's going to do. So please pray with me. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come meet freely as your church uh, out in the open, in public, God, what a gift, what a blessing that is. And Lord, I just thank you for that. Um, Lord, I pray for this time we have, this few minutes, these few moments, that they would be infused with you and your spirit. Uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you would use me uh, to bring your word and illuminate your word um, to your church. And God, I pray if there's something that comes out of my mouth uh, a saying, a word, a phrase that is not from you, God, I pray, Lord, it would be quickly forget, forgotten. But Lord, if I do, I do pray that if you have something to teach us today, if you have something to show us, Lord, I pray that we would remember it, Lord, that your spirit would, uh, would put that in our hearts and confirm it, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that um, today uh, I would decrease, you would increase, and that your church would be edified and built up. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so real quick off the bat, you can probably hear a little congestion in my voice. I promise it's not, not COVID, okay? So um, I have two young children, and they have been like perpetually sick for the past two weeks, and so therefore, because I'm a dad, uh, I get sick too. And so it's just a cold. We've all been tested, not COVID. So please bear with me as I have a little bit of congestion. And um, so I try, may like vary my speed and how I talk to overcome coughing, right? Okay, cool. So... Uh, <laughs> Great. So today, and also I like to move. Another little logistical thing, I like to move when I talk. I don't sit at a podium and just sit like this at a rostrum like I used to do back in the day. I like to move. So if I get a little echo feedback, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to stay on camera as well for the guys in the booth. Um, but today we're going to talk about work. Um, so work is something near and dear to all of us. I promise. And if it's not yet, it should be. And it will be, right? And so work is something that consumes about a third of our adult life. Um, and when I mean work, when I talk about work, what I mean is not your vocation or your job or your career or your nine to five or your Taco Bell uh, part-time gig. I'm talking about all work. Uh, raising children is work. Planting a garden at your house 
is work. Um, maintaining a home is work. Building friendships and relationships is work. Discipleship is work. Work exists everywhere. And there's any one thing I want you to see this morning is work is good. And we're going to use some Proverbs to get to this and get to the heart of this. And um, so uh, the verse we're going to start in, and we're going to go around Proverbs, but the verse we're going to start in is Proverbs 6, and I've got it right here, 6 through 11. It says this, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So when I first started reading this verse and started thinking about this sermon today, um, I looked at this verse and I thought, oh my gosh, all I'm going to do for 30 minutes is preach on don't be lazy. Right, Because that's what we see when we see the slugger. We see laziness. We see sloth. And, uh, but if you dig a little deeper, I think there's more going on here that the writer of Proverbs wants us to see. And so a few observations, and then we're going to get into kind of the meat of today in three acts or phases or movements. Uh, but first observation is, uh, this is about laziness, but uh, with a lot of Proverbs, it can seem very negative, Right? And so how are we supposed to tease something out of such negativity to help encourage our hearts as believers in Jesus? Uh, and then so I, I was reading about this. I was thinking about this. I was like, I just don't want to preach a verse that just says, don't be lazy. Right? Uh, who wants that? Nobody wants that. And so um, really, I had this like, epiphany from Ray Ortland. It was so good. He writes, in the, he writes, he goes, God uses negative examples to teach us positive wisdom. How helpful is that, right? Because we see a lot of scripture, especially Proverbs, it just seems super negative. Do this, don't do that. A lot of don't do that, right? And uh, we can come away from Proverbs saying, this is super negative. And I'm not a negative person. If you know me, uh, and I can look out, and I think I know some of you people. Um, and so I'm pretty positive, um, eternal optimist, um, very cynical as well. It's just a weird mix of my head. But, um, but yeah. God uses negativity, these negative verses, to teach us positive wisdom. It's so helpful. So hang with me through the negativity because there's some positivity in here I want you to see. Uh, second, this verse is about laziness, but so much more than that. I think this verse is about work and not just about being diligent and uh, being shamed by an ant because an ant knows how to work hard and this slugger doesn't know how to work hard. But I think it's more than that, Right? I think it's more about how we are designed to work and what's going on in the pa passage. And so that being said, let's get into this, right? And so first act, first phase is work is good. It is holy. It is good. If you do not believe that today, I hope you come away from today understanding that work is part of God's design. It's part of your design. Um, and I think we just... We don't understand that or we lose sight of that. And I think that's what's going on here. I think that's what happened with the sluggard. I think the sluggard lost sight of this. And we'll unpack that in a second. We'll get to the sluggard in a second. But I want to argue with you. I want to persuade you that work is good. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you that work is pre-fall. Now, if you've ever heard that terminology before, 
pre-fall is basically things that were put into existence before sin entered the world, before the fall of man in Genesis 3. So we're going to start in Genesis 1.1, and this is going to be a very long sermon because I'm going to start at Genesis 1.1. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> That's terrible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Boom. From the outset, God is working. Very first sentence of the Bible, God is working, right? God works. He is a God of work, right? And we follow up that with Genesis 2, 1 through 3. And so, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I love this verse. I have uh, been dwelling on this verse for quite a long time because I've been trying to figure out how to keep the Sabbath with my family, right? So we look at this verse and we're like, oh, this is all about the Sabbath and rest, and rest is good. But what is God resting from? Work. Six-sevenths of what God has just done is work, right? And so we miss that. I think we miss this a ton. We think God is a God that wants us to rest, but why? Right? Because he is working and he designed us to work. So very first thing off the back, work is pre-fall and God is the one that works. God modeled work for us. And he still does. And we'll get there in a second. I don't want to get ahead of myself because I get really excited about some of this. So I'll temper myself with my outline. I'll stay on point. Second thing, work is also pre-fall. Uh, in the idea that God gave work to humans, all humanity, God gave work, not just to believers in Jesus, not just to pagans, not just to Jews or Gentiles, all he gave work. Genesis 1.26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And just two verses later, it gets followed up with this. And God blessed them, talking about uh, man and woman. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, if you've been in church culture for a while, you probably heard these verses before. You heard it called the creative mandate. Um, if you have not been in church culture, uh, you may be like, okay, what does that mean, <laughs> right? Uh, so God, at the very outset, we are not even into the garden yet, really. He is giving work to man. He's saying, your job, man, is to be on the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And a lot of theologians throughout the years, and I agree with them, would say, this is called the creative mandate. Go subdue the earth. Bring order out of chaos, just like I do. God brings order out of chaos in Genesis, and that's what he's calling man to do. Subdue the earth. Here's the, in the three-year-old's mentality, here's every single Lego block you need. Go play, right? Go build. Go build wonderful cities. Go build society. Go build law and order, right? Bring order into this chaos. Bring structure into humanity, into the world. And so he's giving this at the very outset to man. Say, go work, work hard, make it beautiful just like I do. And that's good. And it's holy work, right? So 
this creative mandate also includes not just taking all the building blocks, but it's also raising children, right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Awesome, right? Like, cool. I love kids. I, I, I didn't think I would, and now I do. Like, and so um, I love having children. I love raising them. I love discipling them. And so it's just like we're building up the next generation. And why do we do this, right? Because it was a gift from God, at least if we have that mentality. A lot of people think it's a necessary evil. We'll get there, okay? But um, the cool thing was uh, in Genesis 2.15, we kind of see the first, like, job or profession. Uh, The Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So if you think work is evil, go to Genesis 2.15 and see what he did with Adam. Right before sin entered the world, he puts Adam in the garden and says, be a gardener. Go grow plants. Awesome right? Awesome. And the reason why I, I'll put this verse later, and I won't talk about this. I'll talk about this verse later when we get into something else, but just the beauty of this, right? God says, I built this garden. Man, I'm putting you in there to work it and keep it. And now guess what? We have value. We have dignity in our work because God gave it to us. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, if anybody knows who Tim Keller is, he's a pastor up in New York City, Uh, He wrote this book called Every Good Endeavor, and I encourage anyone who works, which is all of us, to read it. And so um, it's a a great read on work and the theology of work. And in this book, he quotes this guy named Kidner, and basically this observation of 215 and the creative mandate. He goes, only man is set apart and given a job description, an office, not like the office to show, but an office. In other words, while the plants and animals are called to simply team and reproduce, Only humans are explicitly given a job. They are called to subdue and have dominion. So this brings us back to the sluggard, right? When when the writer of Proverbs brings up the ant, I think he's saying, hey, sluggard, look at the ant. Be wise. Consider her ways. She was created to do something, and she's working according to her creation. She was not created to have dignity or actually work, but she's just working how she was created. You, on the other hand, are not. Wake up, sluggard. Look at the ant. See what's going on, right? That's why I think this verse is about work and our design, right? We were given an office. We were the ones given jobs, not ants. Ants are just doing what they're supposed to do because that's how they were designed to do, and we are not. And I think what the writer of Proverbs is doing is he's using the ant to shame the sluggard into waking up. Like, oh my gosh, look at this ant. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to, right? He could have used a bee. He could have used a lot of things, um, but he used an ant. So that leads us into uh, phase two or act two, right? And it's just a realization and the reality that work is hard, right? Does anybody think work's hard? Anybody? Show of hands. Work hard? Work hard? Yeah, yeah, it works hard. And when I say hard, I mean difficult. It just feels like everything's against us in our work. Um, Work just is rough. It's hard. So if God created work and it's beautiful and it's glorious and it's holy and it's good, why is our experience as hard? Well, we know in the full picture of Scripture that something happens in Genesis, right? So there's the fall. Um, so the serpent deceives Eve. Eve takes a, a piece of fruit from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, bites of it, gives it to Adam. He takes it, bites of it, and then boom, immediately, sin has entered the world, right? Right? 
Basically, because they have put themselves up at the same playing field as God, right? We want to be like God. That was the whole idea. We want to be wise in our own eyes. And so as a result of that, sin comes into the world. And then God actually prescribes three curses. Uh, And so I want to look at one of these. And And I think this is so instructive of why work is hard. For two different reasons, work is hard. So in Genesis 3.17, this is the curse to Adam. And he says to him, he goes, cursed is the ground because of you. Sorry, I'm starting a little bit further down the verse. Uh, In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So two things happen when fall when the sin enters the world. One, the creative order is broken. The way that God created things is now fractured. It's harmed by sin. So what happens? Thorns and thistles grow up out of the ground, and this is still that image of the garden, right? Tending to a garden. It's hard work now. We have to weed. Does anybody have a garden? At least here, like if you just let it go for a week, nature takes over and like your tomatoes are now like inside a bunch of like netting of weeds, right? And so we know this to be true just even in our own backyards. Uh, And this plays itself out over and over and over again where it feels like everything is working against us. It just takes that much more effort to enter in. But something else is going on here um, in this narrative and that is that Man has also set himself up to be like God. And so when we do that, we become wise in our own eyes, and we think we know what the best way forward is. And so guess what? When we go to work, we bring that same baggage in, and it makes work hard, right? Work is not just hard because of thorns and thistles, but it's hard because we also have lost sight of our true design, and we think we know what's best, right? Just like Adam and Eve did. And that makes everything super difficult because it's not just us that do that, but it's every single other person we work with, right? Everybody believes they have the best way forward. And then all of a sudden meetings take three hours and you come out frustrated, right? Um, It's my experience at work. I don't know about you guys, but this is how things work. And so we have to understand how this works. Sin sets us up to be masters of our own domain in our work and not realizing that work is actually a gift from God, but we think it's us controlling it and us having to strive to build things outside of God's domain. So Keller in his book actually sets this up, and I don't think the quote's up there. Um, It's teed up. Uh, And so he says, if we have this outlook, if we have this outlook that will work, and we believe that we are the masters of our own domain, and actually there's this next level, which we can't really get into because I don't have three hours to talk to you today. I wish I did. It would be fun. Um, But I don't. Uh, But he says, next level is, if we go down this rabbit hole, then work is evil, and the best thing we can do with work is get to leisure, right? To make work go away and just retire and be fat and happy. And that's what the Greeks thought. Again, we don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but the Greeks believed uh, back in uh, biblical times and even now that we, we see this coming in. They believe that work is evil because gods don't work. Gods are creatures of leisure. And it's man to work for God, and man's job is to work enough so that they don't have to work anymore. I think that's where we got our modern era of retirement. Um, But again, another sermon. (laughs) We can't go there. But some of the outflow of this is the view that work becomes a necessary evil for us just to make money, 
until we can retire. We've lost the value of work and the design of work, and we've believed a lie, right? That we are in charge of our own domain, and that work is in basically just something, a barrier to get us to where we want to go, right? So let's go back to the sluggard real quick, because I think this is what happened with the sluggard. I think the sluggard has forgotten his identity and the good purpose of work, right? Sluggard is just like just sitting there, and the writer of Proverbs in chapter 6, verse 6 through 11 is saying, hey, wake up. Look at the ants. Look how it works. It works according to its design. You are not. Be, wake up. Be wise. Consider her ways. He's forgotten his identity. He's forgotten who he is. We also see this in Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. The sluggard's mentioned a lot of times in Proverbs. I'm just going to key on a few verses. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Now, we've already heard that phrase before with the, the previous verse. Um, but it's not just that the, what, what happens when a sluggard forgets what he's designed to do? Everything around you goes to destruction, right? The vineyard is overgrown. No one's taking care of it. And that's why I love the wordplay here, because we see Adam was put in the garden to keep it, and the sluggard was given a garden to keep it, and guess what he's not doing? He's not keeping it. Why? Because he's forgotten that that's what he's supposed to do, right? And so if you forget what you're supposed to do in your purpose, you shirk your responsibilities. You just stop doing what you're designed to do because you're asleep. You don't realize what you're supposed to be doing, right? Likewise, uh, so this next one um, is kind of like a really interesting verse of showing how we get there and why we do, why the slugger does what he does. And I didn't know where to fit this in this morning, so I'm just going to put it in right here. We're just going to talk about it. But Proverbs 26, um, 13 through 16 says this. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard turn on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. What does it say? It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So there are four things going on here. So the sluggard we have seen has already forgotten who he is and what his purpose is. He's asleep to it, right? What, is, what are the effects of that? I think the first three statements in these verses show what the effects are. And the last statement is kind of a cause of what's happening. Um, the first one, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the street, right? The writer of Proverbs has already called this guy out multiple times or girl, I don't know, uh, the sluggard out. Is hey, consider, be wise. And he's like, hey, I can't do it because there's a lion out there, right? And so a lot of commentaries say, this is a crazy excuse. That's all that's going on here. Because I was trying to unpack in my head, like, how does this fit in? They're like, this is just a crazy excuse. This guy will not acknowledge that he is in sin, and all he is doing is just making crazy excuse after crazy excuse, of why he doesn't work the way he's supposed to work, 
Don't we do that? We do that all the time, right? Crazy excuse could be it's somebody else or uh, I have a head cold so I can't work the way I'm supposed to work or whatever, right? We just make crazy excuse after crazy excuse. There's a lion in the road. There's probably not a lion in the road. And probably he's not even getting out of bed to go figure out if there was a lion in the road. He just assumes there's a lion in the road, right? This is the, what happens when you're a sluggard. It's kind of a diagnostic. of You just make crazy excuse after crazy excuse of why you're not fulfilling your calling to work. The next one is super interesting. Uh, the sluggard is like a door on its hinges, right? Um, <laughs> he, he turns in bed. A door on its hinges does move. It's alive. It works, right? But it doesn't go anywhere. You know, it doesn't have any purpose to like actually make, it's making movement. And so basically I think the writer probably like, this guy is alive. At least if you poke him with a stick, he would move, Right? And so he's too wrapped up in himself to actually get out of bed and go work, right? But he's alive. If you asked him, he'd be, I'm alive. I'm in my bed. I can move. Look, I can move. God gave me movement. I can move. And so it's just another thing of just a diagnostic of who the sluggard is. The third one is really just, it just gets worse for this guy, right? I put my hand in the dish and I can't even bring it out. It's like your two-year-old who gets so tired it falls asleep in his food, right? Um, which my two-year-old and my three-year-old have never done that because they love to eat. And so, and they have energy that's just like off the charts. But that's the idea. You're too tired to even eat. You can't even bring sustenance to your mouth because you have totally forgotten what it is to actually live according to how you're supposed to live. So here's what happens. You get lazy. And not just lazy, you start things and you cannot complete them. Right? Just another diagnostic of whether or not you're a sluggard or not. Do you start a lot of stuff and you can't bring it to completion? Because that's not how God works. God starts things and brings it to completion. Right? The sluggard doesn't. He is antithetical to how God has built him. And then the fourth one, the fourth statement I think is so instructive for us. And it shows us why the sluggard is the way he is. He is arrogant. Right? He is wise in his own eyes, more so than seven men of reason. Right? He has made himself the author of the wisdom of his life. Right? He has forgotten who God has made him, and he is now saying, hey, I don't care. You bring seven people to reason with me, and I'm wiser than all of them. While he sits in his bed, can't finish anything, he starts and says there's lions in the street and can't do anything. And the vineyard's overgrown, and he's being told, wake up, wake up, wake up. Right? And he's like, no, I don't need to wake up. I'm wise. Right? And I think this is really like instructive for our hearts. Like, What happens to us when we forget who we are? We forget how God designed us. We fall asleep. And then we start rationalizing everything in our own heads, and then we can rationalize it to other people. Now, we're the wisest person in the room. We don't have any humility. We can't look at God and say, God designed me, and this is how I'm supposed to work. Instead, we say, no, this is how I'm supposed to work because this is how I decide I'm supposed to work, right? And that's what's going on. Now, how did the slugger get here? It didn't happen overnight, Right? The sluggard just doesn't become wise in his own eyes overnight. He just doesn't become lazy overnight. He just doesn't forget who God made him overnight. And this is where I think those two phrases that we saw earlier, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, is so instructive for us. 
When I read that, it reminded me of something else I've read in Scripture, of when little things destroy things. It was in Song of Solomon. I want to give a quick shout out to the Song of Solomon series 20 years ago with Tommy Nelson. The little foxes will ruin the vineyard. The little things of life are going to come in and wreck and wreck and wreck if you don't keep them in check. I think that's what's happening here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, all right? A little compromise here, a little gossip here, a little bit of this here, which in the moment we think, oh, that's just something small. I don't need to worry about it. That little sin over here, I don't need to worry about it. You know what? It's just lulling you into sleep for you to forget about who God made you to be, right? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. When I used to read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I just, you know, Rest is going to ultimately kill me. No, that's not what this is saying, right? Um, as I've read this more and more, I mean, like when I read it like 10 years ago, I was like, oh my goodness, I, I don't need to sleep, right? If I sleep, this is bad. No, sleep is pre-fall and sleep is good. Rest is pre-fall, rest is good, right? That's the rhythm we're supposed to be in. But if you start letting little compromises come in, you will fall asleep ultimately. And what does that mean? That means you forget who God made you to be. And then you even have the writer of Proverbs or maybe someone in your life yelling at you to wake up, right? Wake up, and you're just asleep, and you've become wise in your own eyes because a little compromises over time. So where does that leave us? Um, well, hopefully, not hopeful, right? If that's how life is, and that's how life is supposed to be, and work is just a necessary evil, and we're just going to fall asleep, what hope do we have when we become wise in our own eyes? And this is where it's hard for me to preach a sermon like this because I'm like, oh, yeah, sin, 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 sin. We're falling asleep. Not good. The sluggard's not good. Because I just want to skip straight to the gospel, and that's where we're going, right? Because the gospel interacts with this, right? Interacts with the sluggard. What wakes us up, right? Jesus wakes us up, right? This is part three. The gospel comes in and actually influences our work because it wakes us up to our true reality to our true nature, right? The gospel is the antithesis to the sluggard, right? So in Romans 8, 1 through 2, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The sluggard is sitting under the law of sin and death. He has allowed sin to come into his life, just like all of us are born into, and has made him fall asleep. And then Jesus comes and says, you know what? I know. God says, you know what? I know. And then God continues to work. How did God work in the gospel? He sent his son, who was sinless, to come and die for his sinful people so that we could wake up. For once we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but now we are alive in Christ. Right? We were once dead, we were once asleep, but Christ came in died for us, rose from the grave, and gave us life, right? So we could be awake. So the shekels from our eyes could fall down, and we could see the true nature of who God intended us to be. It's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel comes in and says, hey, you are not a sluggard anymore. You are a child of God, and you can work according to the design that you were given, that you were given by God. So what does this mean? This means our work has value again. He has redeemed us and therefore redeemed our work. So when we go work, we don't work just for us as a necessary evil to make a paycheck, but we realize the intended design to create, to make beautiful things, to raise children that love the Lord, right? 
to build society. Um, I had this illustration, and I'm just going to throw it back in here. Sorry, Jeremy. This is going to make us go like three minutes longer. Because um, I think this is so instructive for those uh, who don't believe your work is valuable. If you're in Christ, your work is valuable because that's what God intended you to do. And I'm not saying be in ministry. Right? I'm not saying preaching from a stage or discipling all day long. I mean, in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, right? Whatever you do. So I was in Chicago a few weeks ago uh, for some meetings, and I went to my very favorite steakhouse in the world. And if you know me, I love two things in life. I love my wife dearly, and I also like really good food and drink, right? As Jeremy likes to say, I'm part of the Finer Things Club, right? Um, so I like good food and drink. And so my favorite steakhouse in the world is in Chicago. And I went to Chicago. It's a place called Bavette's. Um, it's amazing. I went to Bavette's by myself because I don't care if I eat alone, <laughs> as long as it's good. And I, I ordered a steak. Um, and I was thinking about this sermon while I was doing this. I ordered a steak and I ordered a glass of scotch because I also like scotch. Sorry, I know this is church, but guess what? I like scotch. Sorry. Um, some really good sides. And the first bite of steak I took, I ate it, and I sniffed the glass of scotch, and I almost cried. It was so good. It was amazing. It was just a worshipful experience. But I didn't just almost cry. I would have cried if my wife was there. I think I texted you and said, hey, if you were there, I would have bawled my eyes out. But um, I didn't just cry because the food was good. Because all I was thinking about while I was eating is the amount of work it took for me to have this worshipful experience. Someone had to raise the beef. Someone had to be in the janitorial services at the restaurant. Somebody had to be the waiter or the waitress. Somebody had to do X, Y, and Z. Someone had to build that building 120 years ago. Somebody had to lay the bricks. Somebody had to do the mortar. Somebody had to build the roads and the transportation network. Somebody had to develop the software so that there's a point of uh, sale system that they can use during COVID, right? There was so much work that went in to me experiencing this moment. Do we see our work like that? We should if we're in Christ. We should see our work as incredibly valuable, and we may never know that value, but we can trust God that it's valuable. That 10 years from now, 20 years out, because of the work we're doing now, someone's going to worship Jesus. I don't care what you do. Do you guys think that? Do you believe that to be true? Because you should if you're in Jesus. I know it's a weird thing to think about, right? I teach at a law school. I go in day in and day out, and man, it gets hard. It is hard work. But I am hopeful for my students. I'm hopeful that I leave it a better place. By the way, that's a Boy Scout motto, right? But whatever, it's the same idea, right? I'm hopeful that what I do creates generations of worship after me. Because I have Jesus, and I know that's how it's going to work. When it does get hard, the gospel has a second influence on us. It's not just opening our eyes to the value of our work and what God has intended us to do. This is amazing. God still works even when you don't think he does. So if you're having a hard time at work and you don't understand the value of your work, I just want to encourage you for a second from Romans. Romans 8, 26 through 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Boom. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we are weak and we don't think our work matters, the Spirit will help us. 
you do not have the Spirit of God in you unless you are a believer of Jesus Christ. That makes us unique in the workplace, doesn't it? Makes us incredibly unique. Then it goes further. Paul goes further. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. This should blow your mind for a second. If you think work is hard and it's just drudgery and you're a believer in Jesus, don't you know the Spirit of God is in you, interceding for you to the Father that your work would actually matter? And you have no idea it's happening. God is working even when we don't think He is. So when you go into work tomorrow, Monday, I don't care what you're doing, raising kids, doing schoolwork, doing rush, whatever it may be, teaching, writing the next book, whatever it might be. God is working in you and through you for your good, and you have no clue it's happening. Praise the Lord, right? Because if it was up to us, we'd just be a sluggard, right? But God is sitting there working incredible amounts of work for us, and we have no clue it's happening in the background. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around that, right? Okay. And it's not just the Spirit. Go to Romans 8.34. This gets so much better. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? So it's not just the Spirit in us interceding for us in words that are too deep, groanings too deep for understanding. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for you right now. Right now for me as I'm working through this sermon. How incredible is that? Jesus sits at the right hand of God saying, Aaron Bumgarner is my son, is your son. He's having a hard time. Work with him, right? And Aaron, you have no clue what's happening. i just pulling you out because I can see you. Sorry, sorry. Okay, uh, who else can I see? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit is inside us interceding for us. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father after he ascended from the earth. He's sitting there interceding for us. God is working for us. He's working. He's still working. This differentiates us from so many other faith traditions. Our God works on our behalf for our good. He works. And you know what? That helps us work. If we know that to be true, when we go into our jobs, we know God's got our back and we can work. So I'm going to finish up here pretty soon. I'm going to skip over something but because I know we're going long on time. I'm sorry. That's just how I operate. Um, this goes to this example of work that really, I think a lot of us in Christian culture know about, but we just don't process very well. And that's the example of Brother Lawrence. So Brother Lawrence was this monk in France back in the day, I don't know what day, like medieval times, right? 1500s and so, 1600s. And he was a monk that worked in a kitchen and his job was to clean dishes. He did a lot of menial work. And he had this reputation for someone who worshiped God no matter what he did and what kind of work he did. So much so, it got the attention of the religious elite in France and Paris at the time. And so there's this book called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is recordings of conversations that the religious elite at the time had with Brother Lawrence. And there's some letters in there as well. But I think this is so instructive. If we have the mind that God is working for us and our work has value, 
it frees us to work in a way that is completely different than everyone around us, right? Uh, in, in the fourth conversation, um, this is the religious guy talking. I can't remember his name, sorry. Uh, talking what Brother Lawrence told him. And Brother Lawrence said that the most excellent method which Brother Lawrence had found of going to God was that of doing our common business or work without any view of pleasing men, and as far as we are capable, purely for the love of God. Amazing, right? The most excellent method he found of going to God was just going to work and working to please God. Why? Why does he have this outlook, right? Why does he have this view? Because he knows Jesus Christ saved him and Jesus Christ works on his behalf and it frees him up to work in such a way that he is working according to his original design, unlike the sluggard. Second in this uh, conversation is that Brother Warren said that we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God. For God regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. So if we work according to the love that God has given us, right? That's enough. It's not what you build. It's not how awesome what you build is. It's about doing the work and doing the little things. That is the design that God gave us. It was to work so that we would be in relationship with God and relationship with others. So what does this mean for us, right, as the church? One, we should be the happiest people at work. Are we? No, I'm not. I know I'm not, right? And that's why I rest on the verses that Jesus is interceding for me. I just pray I could be because my work matters. It matters for society to continue to develop, but it also matters for those around me and the relationships I'm going to build. If I work for the love of God and not for the love of man, I'm going to be excellent in everything I do or hope to be. I will empty myself. God will show himself to be true, wonderful, beautiful because of my work. And you know what? It's going to shine. And people are going to come and be like, hey, man, I see you did a good job. Let's just hang out because you're, you do good work. That happens all the time. And then you go get drinks with someone and you share the gospel with them. You know? It's not necessarily being in ministry. It's just doing your job the way God intended it to be. So for us, I think a good diagnostic for us um, unlike the sluggard, right? Because we have Jesus in us if you're in the church, right? If, you, if you're in Christ, you can have this outlook. So what does your self-dialogue look like at work? Because I have to check myself all the time. Um, and I talk about work all the time because it takes up a big part of my life. And I have to have a self-dialogue that is an appreciation for what work is and what God gave me and not just a little this and a little this and a little this. So I have to have a good self-dialogue, but also have to be in community. This is why the church is so important, right? This is why being invested in this church here, Prov Road, there, other churches, being invested in a community of believers where you can have honest conversations about your work and what's going on so they can speak life into that, right? So we don't become like the sluggard and somebody's yelling at us or too far asleep to listen anymore, Right? someone to check us on the little things, right? So we can talk about work in M or MC, GC, where are we calling it again? Sorry, that's for tonight. Uh, but yeah, so just like in our groups. <laughs> so like, what are we doing? What are we talking about? You can talk about work. It doesn't have to be hyper-spiritual, right? It's just what are you doing day in and day out and how does the gospel apply to that? 
So when you say, hey, man, I'm having a hard time with my boss or a colleague, okay, well, where's your heart? Do you realize that God intended you to work the way you're working and that other person doesn't have that same hope that you do? Right? So you can be excellent and then build relationship. So, like, what's your self-dialogue? Be in community, right? Be in community when it comes to work. Um, sorry. Oops. Uh, so, <laughs> last thing. We can, we can work with joy. Like, I'm serious. You can be freed up to work with joy. I have to give a big shout-out to Tim Keller for helping me, not personally, but through books and sermons. Um, I'm not that cool. Uh, like, nine or ten years ago when I was in law practice, I had a really hard time with law practice, a lot of it. Um, some of it was good, some of it was just terrible. And I have to give a shout out to another guy named Ian Shals. If anybody knows Ian, come find me afterwards. We can go nerd out on this guy. But uh, he worked in my law firm and we had multiple conversations, long conversations about what the meaning of work is and why we do work. And one thing I can say is we can work with joy because we have Jesus in us, right? That was a product of all that. And I actually went to work a little more joyful. I'm hopefully the most joyous person at work now. If you come to the law school, hopefully you realize there's this weirdo over here who really enjoys what he does, and he wants to tell you that he really enjoys technology and law practice, right? It's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird. It is really weird. Um, but anyway, we can work with joy. Um, so be, I hope this encourages you today, okay? I hope you are encouraged to work according to how God designed you and be weary of those little things. Be weary, wary. Oops, wrong word. I knew that was going to happen. Be wary of those little things, right? Work how God intended you to work, be in community so you're continuing to foster that. Thank you guys for enjoying, hopefully, the past 35, 50, 60 minutes. I don't know how long I've been up here. Um, all right, thank you, everybody. Uh, let's pray real quick, and then uh, Jeremy's going to come back up. Uh, Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the ability, again, to meet publicly, to talk about you, your glory, and who you are. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us according to the work that you've given us, that you would help us work with joy, that you would help us be wary of those little things that come in our life that could rob us of that joy. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would work according to you, your design, and your gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.